This week I saw something that I've never seen before in my life. I never thought that I would see in life. Last Monday night, uh, like many, perhaps many of you, I was uh, doing what I love to do on Monday night. I was watching Monday night football and was excited about uh, two uh, big teams going to clash with one another with a lot of implications to it. And not too long into the game, uh, we all know what has happened unless you were under a rock this week or just, you know, you don't watch the news or anything at all. Uh, young man, 24 years old, DeMar Hamlin, was hit in the chest and right there on the field uh, went into cardiac arrest. Uh, we saw, like has often happened before, those who are uh, believers, at least in some kind of spiritual things that were on the field, they circled up and they began to pray. And, and all that was difficult and tragic, but that's not the thing that I saw that I'd never seen before. What I saw that I've never seen before, at least in my lifetime, uh, as I've been keeping up with the story through the week on a number of different networks, and I'm talking about a variety of networks of all different, different political persuasion, I've seen people on live air stopping and praying. And on one hand, I've thought to myself, where have you been all this time, all these years? You know, what is it about that this event, I mean, and I, I'm glad that we're praying, but what is it about this event that now some network executive has said it's okay for you to do this now? Because listen, I don't remember this happening at 9-11. So what is it about this event that, that you're praying? But on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. God, use this. God, do something with this. God, move because people are open to at least the possibility of something happening with prayer. And I've been reminded that most of us, at least in our part of the world, we're not completely shut off from the possibility that there's a power in prayer. But as a pastor, what I really long for is I want them to know what is happening when they pray. Because for many of us, we're willing to pray in those desperate moments. But what would happen if we prayed in every moment? And prayed with an expectation that God is going to do something with this. Because we, deep down, we believe in prayer, but there are some things that get in the way. On the one hand, uh, a lot of us, we have the boundary of distraction. Because we get so busy doing all the things that we think that we have to do, that we don't really have to do, but we make them a priority because we think we have to do them. And we get so distracted by all those things. And then on the other hand, many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, what we really focus on is not what God can do, but what can I do? All right, so I get busy fixing a situation, fixing a circumstance, trying to find the answers to the problems that I'm facing. And rarely, if ever, do we come first to God and say, well, God, what, what do you think about this? What can you do with this? What we do is we come to pray, prayer when we've exhausted every other option and we realize without a doubt, I can't do anything about this. So I got nothing left to do. Let me just lift it up in prayer because at least it's a possibility that maybe God will hear me and maybe God will do something with this. But what you know if you've experienced the power of God in prayer is that God loves to move in prayer. And what we can discover is that if we come to God in every season of, of life, come to God first and say, Lord, what is it you want to do with this? What can you do here? How can you move? Our lives can be completely transformed. So what is it that happens when we pray? Well, there's uh, at least four things 
that are really important that happen when we pray. One of the things that happens is it opens my eyes, my ears, and my heart to God. Another thing that happens is it connects me to God. It's the way that God draws me in and I begin to understand and recognize his voice and who God is and what he's doing. Another thing that happens is God, it changes me. You cannot be in the presence of God for any amount of time and not be changed. As you seek him and pursue him and talk to him and listen to him, your heart and your thinking and your life begins to change. And then the fourth thing that happens, and this is why many of us pray, is because prayer moves the heart of God. When we pray, God moves, God acts. But here's the thing we need to understand, especially as we start this series today, is that prayer is not a tool that I use to manipulate God to get what God to do what I want him to do. Rather, God is a tool that God uses. Prayer is a tool that God uses to draw me into him to let me be a part of what he wants to do. And when we begin to approach prayer that way, we will really begin to see a power in prayer. Now, God is so concerned about prayer. He's so focused on it. It's such a gift that he wants us to have in our lives that he sent his son Jesus to show us the full picture of who God is and what life looks like with God. And Jesus actually told us a way that we can pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. I love to call it the Jesus prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus offered to us. And in this prayer, it's not something that we are just only to repeat verbatim of just, we just say these words every time you pray. Instead, it's a model of here are the things that are on the heart of God, of ways that he wants to use, move in your life and my life. So let's take a look at what that prayer is. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, this is how you pray. So Jesus speaking, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What we hear from Jesus are the things that are on the heart of God, of what he wants to do in you, through you, what he wants you to bring to him. And over the next four weeks, including today, we're going to talk about these things that are on the heart of God, of what God wants us to pray about, how God wants us to interact with him. Next week, we're going to explore what does it mean for us to say, God, I need you to provide for me. Lord, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. God, there are things in this world that I just can't take care of. I can't make sure everything's okay all the time in every way. Lord, you are sovereign. You are good. You are powerful. I need you to provide for me the things that I need and my family needs day in and day out. And God longs for us. He invites us to pray about that. He also says that we need to come to God and say, Lord, forgive us. God, I'm broken. I make bad choices, sometimes by accident, but a lot of times on purpose. And I need your spirit to be working in me, to change me, but I also need your forgiveness. And Lord, I need the ability to forgive other people too. It's not natural to me when I'm hurt, when somebody does something to me, to forgive them. So Lord, help me with that. And then we're going to wrap up this series on the last Sunday of January saying, Lord, I need you to protect me. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. There are dangers in the world, sometimes physical, sometimes spiritual, and I need your protection over my life. Would you move in and around me 
to bring that spiritual and physical protection. But what we're going to zone in on today is verse 10. So let's pull verse 10 out. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That our prayer life begins when we're willing to say, Lord, not what I want to see happen. God, what do you want to see happen? Or we could say it this way. The beginning of powerful prayer is surrender. That we come to God, not just with words, but with a heart where we say, Lord, I don't want to just insist on my way, but I want to see what you want to see happen in my life and in the world. That prayer is not this tool that I get to use against God to get God to do what I want him to do. As a matter of fact, most of us, if you spent time frustrated with prayer, you spent time uh, struggling with prayer, you spent time not, you know, really believing that God's hearing my prayers, the answer is probably because you're trying to get God to do what you want to do through your prayers instead of listening to what God wants to see happen. I mean, we are going to spend a lot of time frustrated if we're only looking at prayer as a tool to manipulate God, because it's not the way God works. God has a purpose and God has a plan. God has desires that he wants to see in the world and in your life. And he's not just going to say, okay, whatever you want, I'm going to make it happen. And listen, this is good news. Why is this good news? Because you and I do not make good gods. We have a tendency when we're in charge to mess things up. I know when I've insisted on my own way, it has not been pretty. But God is a good God. And he's good at playing his role. And he's good at being in charge. And he's good at uh, leading our future and making things happen. And when we surrender to him, the best outcomes will come. And God will get glory. And we'll have goodness at work in our lives and through our lives. And we will begin to see the real power of prayer. But we got to be willing to come to him and say, Lord, I want to surrender to you. I don't want to insist on my own way. As a matter of fact, even Jesus did this. Now, what we're going to do through this series is we're going to use Matthew 6 as kind of a map for what happens when we pray and and how do we come to God in prayer. But we're also going to look throughout Scripture and we're going to pull out prayers of the saints, prayers of faithful, obedient followers of God. We're going to pull those prayers out and we're going to learn some things about what happens when we pray the way God designed for us to pray. And I thought, well, what better place to start than with Jesus himself? So here we have the face of God, God incarnate, the one we celebrated over Christmas, that God who created the universe took on flesh. He came into the world And he had all power in all the universe. And even that person, even the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God, even Jesus looked to the father and said, I'm not going to insist on what I want. But God, what do you want? So where we're going to camp out today is Matthew 26. And we're going to start in verse 36, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to see how Jesus came to prayer as a starting point, surrendering to the father. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So here Jesus is. The Son of God, God in the flesh, and He is about to go through unimaginable suffering. He knows that He's about to head to Jerusalem where He's going to be arrested, be beaten, be mocked. He'll be executed in one of the most heinous and terrible ways of all history. And he's going to give his life. And we've talked about this before. We need to understand that Jesus was not under the brokenness of sin. And so he wasn't going to die a natural death. He had to give his life for us. And he knew what this was going to mean for him. The the suffering and the challenge and the pain of it. So much so that even God in the flesh, in his flesh, came to God and said, Lord, I want salvation for people and I want your glory. But if there's any other way, if I don't have to go through this sorrow, if this suffering, this pain, this difficulty, if there's any other way than that, God, I don't want to do that. Then let's find that way. But in the very same breath, he said, but you know what, God? Father, if this is what you want, then it's what I want. If this is the way, then it's the way I'll walk in. And I will surrender to you even now. But what I want us to really key in on here is that Jesus did this and you and I can do this by the power of the Spirit. But what he says to us, it is not by willpower that this happens, but it's through prayer. He didn't pray once. He didn't pray twice. He prayed three times, God, not my will, but your will be done, which says to me that after the first prayer, he wasn't quite ready yet. After the second prayer, he wasn't quite ready yet. It took three prayers for Jesus to be fully on board and say, okay, let's do this. And what he did not do is he didn't gather the disciples together and say, all right, let's get pumped up. We can do this. We, you know, they didn't throw a pep rally. They didn't pump each other up. He got on his face and he prayed. What did he say to Peter in verse 41? I know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And many of us would want to pump ourselves up into obedience and, you know, get all excited and, and just, you know, try to run after it. And God would say, that, that's going to 
weighing on you. What we need to do is fall on our face and get on our knees and come to God and say, Lord, I know that the real surrender doesn't proceed or come after the prayer. It happens in the praying. And so there's some things that we can do, a heart we can come to to God and say, Lord, I can't make myself surrender to you. I, I need you to, to help me make this happen. And there's a power that happens when we surrender. I, I don't want us to miss this. I mean, one of the things that we see in Jesus is that sorrow and pain doesn't have to stop me from moving forward when I surrender to God. Look at what happens with Jesus. Verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Look, he was not frustrated. He wasn't kind of irritated like, God, you need to get on board. Like, I need some things. No, he was overwhelmed. Many of us have been in a place where you are overwhelmed with sorrow. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can't get past your grief. You can't get past the shame. You can't get past the struggle and you want to give up and you want to turn around and you say, God can't use me. And God would say, it's not about you trying to figure this out. Just come to me in prayer and I can help you move forward. The surrender is in the prayer, not in the willpower. Another thing we saw in Jesus is that when he felt alone, he didn't give up. And look at what happens as he's bringing James and, and John and Peter, kind of his best three of the 12 disciples. And he said, come and pray with me for just a little while. And in verse 40, it says that he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping he said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Just one hour. Because Jesus knew what was about to happen. The disciples had no clue. I mean, Jesus had told them at least three times up to this point, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. And they still didn't get it. And, and they fall asleep. The most critical moment of Jesus' life. And they fall asleep. And I guarantee you, he felt alone in that moment. But what did he do? A second time and a third time he got on his face and he prayed and he said, God, not my will, but your will. And the third thing that we see is real power in this surrender is I don't have to turn away when God says no. I mean, look at what happens. Verse 45, then he returned to the disciples after praying three times. If there's any other way to do this, God, let's do it that way. But he returned to them and he said, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. A few verses later, he says, what are you guys doing? Don't you understand that I could call on angels to come and rescue me right now? This is not about you doing something to me. This is about me surrendering to what the Father wants to do through me. And you don't have a clue of what's happening in the spiritual world right now. He wasn't a victim in this moment. He was in complete charge of everything happening and he surrendered to God. And many of us have been in a place where we pray and we pray and we pray. God, I need you to do this. I need you to bring healing. I need you to bring restoration. I need you to fix this. I need you to deal with my finances or deal with this relationship or deal with this job or whatever it might be. And God looks and he says, no, that's not what I'm gonna do. And when we can come to him 
And look at prayers, not as a way to manipulate God, but a way to surrender to God. We can continue to move forward and be faithful and trust him. Even in that moment, just as Jesus did in that moment. But again, it's not through willpower, it's through prayer and submitting to him. And here's what we discover is that a prayer that is rooted in surrender will give power to all other prayers. And as a matter of fact, it will give power to all of our life of following Jesus. And we will begin to see God move more and more and more. Because if you want to hear a resounding yes to God for your prayers, pray what God is wanting to see happen in your life. If you want to see God say yes 100% of the time, then pray, Lord, not what I want to see happen, but what do you want to see happen? And as you pray in alignment with God's purpose, he's going to say yes. It may not be in your time. It may be in his time, but it's going to be a yes because it's what God wants to see happen. And what I want to encourage us to embrace this morning as we think about what happens when we pray is to understand that the first thing that happens when we pray is that God wants to submit us to his purpose. He wants to change our thinking and our feeling to be in alignment with his thinking and feeling. And there are some ways that we can approach God to allow God to do this work in us. Here's the first thing is we need to know that we have a choice to make. And what is that choice? It's the choice between self-will or God's will? Am I going to insist on what I want or will I be willing to pray for what God wants? Listen, until prayer becomes more than just a list of our demands, it will always be limited by, in its scope and in its power. As long as my prayer life just consists of, God, I need you to do this, and I need you to do that, and God, you're late on this, and God, you need to fix this. Until it becomes more than that, we're going to see a diminished response of what we see and hear God doing. It's not that God's not active. It's not that God's not answering. It's we're not aligned with what he's saying and what he's doing. But when we begin to start here and say, Lord, I want to choose your will over my will that we will begin to really fully experience all that God wants to do. And it requires one big thing of all of us. And we don't talk about this a lot. We don't talk about it enough, but it is potentially one of the very top critical aspects of following Jesus. And until we understand this truth, we will never be able to fully mature in our faith in following Jesus. And this is what it is. We have got to let go of our propensity for self-preservation. We spend so much of our lives trying to get what we want, trying to get God to give us what we want, trying to make sure that we are okay, that we are completely missing the call of Jesus to follow him. Jesus said, if you wanna follow me, you're gonna have to die to yourself. You're gonna have to take up your cross it is not about self-preservation. It is about letting go of that and trusting me with your life. And as a matter of fact, it's not until you do that that you actually find real life because the way that you keep trying to find life, you're getting all these self-inflicted wounds and self-harm and you're hurting others and you can't see your way out of it because of the pride that is blinding you. You've got to let go of that self-preservation and trust me with your life and then see what I will do. I gotta choose between what I think is so important, what I want, and what God is saying. 
This is what I'm calling you to. What would happen if we went to God and we just, our starting place was, God, what do you want? Because I don't know about you, but this is kind of 99% of my prayer. God, like, I need you to fix my marriage. God, I need you to fix my finances. God, I need you to give me a a better position in in my workplace. Or God, I need you to give me some favor with my neighbors. Or God, I need you to fix my kids. Or God, I need you to fix my family. Or God, I need you to do this. And we have all these lists of things that we think God should do. What if instead I said, God, what do you want for my marriage? God, what do you want for my kids? God, what do you want to see happen in my job? God, what do you want to see happen with my neighbors? Lord, what do you want to see happen in my church, in your church? And then whatever that answer is, God, I'm going to start praying that. Or let me ask you this. If God were to say yes to all of the things that you prayed, check, 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 check. God just is like, all right, I'm the yes man. If God did that, Would it make a difference in the world for eternity or would it just make your life more pleasurable? Would it even make a difference in your life for eternity and not just right now? As I've wrestled with that question, I don't like the answer. And I want to pray big prayers that require faith that impact the world for eternity because that's the heart of God. And that's what God says yes to. It's not that he doesn't, he's not concerned about all the little things, but he wants your heart to seek his kingdom above all the other things. And then he'll give you all the other. He wants you to surrender and trust him and make that choice. A second way that we can come to God is to understand that there's a truth to believe. That God's way is better than my way. That I I trust that God is powerful, that God is good, and God is for me. And because of that, I can trust his way even when I don't understand his way. That I, I can submit to him because the reality is until I believe that God's way is better than my way, I'm going to continue to pray for my way. And as a matter of fact, as we look at our prayer life, if we're just continuing to pray our way, it might be an indication that I don't really believe that God's way is better than my way. And maybe the place that I need to start before I come to God with my list is I might need to say, Lord, I need to believe that your way is better than my way. Because then that'll change everything else that comes out of my mouth and it'll change the way I listen to you and it'll change the things I'm looking for and I can't seem to manipulate my own heart to make it happen. So will you do a work in me? Please, I want to believe that your way is better than me. We said earlier that God is a much better God than we are. Right? And we know that to be true. Because what happens when we insist on our own way? Just evaluate, think back in your past. Now, what happens when you insist on your own way? Right? Probably better than, or less than a, a perfect average. But what happens when we insist on God's way? And we follow him. It it may be an up and down journey and I may not understand it all the way, but God always gets the glory and I always see good. Now, why is it that God's a better God than I am? Well, there's a couple of obvious reasons. Uh, Number one is that God sees the future. I don't know about you, but for me, I have zero ability to see what's coming around the corner. 
And thank God that he's in control because if I had made decisions not knowing the things that have come, are coming, then I would have messed everything up. As a matter of fact, 99% of the decisions that I made for God, if I knew what was coming, I would not have made that decision for God. I'm not, uh-uh, I'm not going there. But God knew and he had a plan and he, he brought me along and he's brought you along. He knows what's coming in the future. A second thing that we can know about God is that God has full knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He knows everything. He, he knows the truth. He, he knows what it means to live and to be whole. I, one thing I know about God is he's never been in a moment where he just threw his hands up and was like, you know what? I just don't know what to do next. I just don't know what to do with this. But how many of us have been in that moment, right? Yeah, you get into a decision, you get into a place, you got a choice to make, a path to take. I don't know what to do. God has never been in that place. He has a full wisdom and understanding. And then the third thing I know about God is that God has a pure heart. Completely pure and loving and merciful. God has never been in a place where he looked back at what he did five minutes ago and was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I was just mad. I just reacted. Right. But we've all been in that place. Listen, if you are married, you've been in that place. Or you go back and like, I'm so sorry. I was just upset. And I didn't mean to say what I said because you don't have a pure heart. We've all done things out of selfishness, out of greed, out of lust, out of fear. That's not God. God acts out of a pure heart every time. And because of that, he is so much better at being God. And his way is better than my way. If I'm willing to trust that. So I got a choice to make, I got a truth to believe, and I have an action to take. Do what I know to do and not just what I want to do. This is key. I'm not really surrendered to God until I act in surrender to God. It's not like, hey, I want to be, I think I am. No, until I make a choice to act in faithfulness and surrender to God, it's not really surrender. Now, if you're taking notes, here's something you might want to write down. Is I don't have to have good feelings or full understanding to obey God's instructions. I don't have to have good feelings about it or full understanding to obey God's instructions. And here's why. Because trusting God's instructions are based on an understanding of his character. And I know his character because of his track record. And here's what that means. Believing and trusting God's instructions is not based on a certainty of the outcome. It's not based on I know where it's going to go. I know what it's going to cost. I know it's going to be successful. I know what's going to happen. That is not what faith is based on. It's based on, I know who God is. And I may not know where it's going. I may not like where it's going, but I do know who God is. And he has been faithful because as we look back in our life, 100% of the time, God has been faithful. He has been loving. He has been merciful. He's been powerful. He's been a miracle worker. He has been truth speaker. He has been savior a hundred times out of a hundred. That's who God is. And he does not change. And that's what faith is. Faith is not, I know what's coming. It's, I don't know what's coming, but I know who's there. 
And I'm not going to just do what I want to do. I'm going to do what I know to do. I'm going to trust God's word. I'm going to trust God's spirit as he speaks to me in prayer. And I'm going to speak and, and step in obedience. What's amazing to me about the life of Jesus is that he did know where it was going. He did know that he was going to suffer. He did know that he was going to die. He did know how it was going to happen. And I promise you, he didn't like it. And he said, I'm doing it anyway because you are the Father and your way is better and you are good and you are merciful and you are loving and you are the raising of the dead. You are the truth speaker and I can trust you, the Father. He did it anyway. He stepped in obedience and he paved the way for us. And I love this part of the story. Probably one of my favorite verses of all scriptures in Philippians chapter 2. On the other side of that obedience, the Father elevated him. And in Philippians 2, it says, At the end of it all, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I promise you this. If you'll make this commitment to do what you know to do and not just what you want to do, there probably will be challenges and suffering and difficulty along the way because the Father did not even spare His Son. But on the other side of that, the Father elevates. There's a reward waiting for us when we trust in Him and we're willing to take that act of surrender to him and say your way not my way and not only just in heaven but many of us have seen it throughout the body of Christ that God brings goodness even now and he blesses even now as we surrender to him and I want to remind us one more time, it does not come through willpower, but it comes as we bow to Him, fall to Him in prayer. And so what can that prayer look like? Well, a good place to start is confession. Father, I, I've, I've made some decisions that are not in line with You. I've hurt myself, I've hurt others. I've acted out of greed and selfishness and lust and fear and all these things. And I need Your forgiveness. We're going to talk about that. Another place that we might need to come to the Lord in prayer, say, Lord, I know there's some, something I need to believe about you. I need to believe that your way is better than mine. Would you give me faith to believe that? Do you know that the Father is willing and ready to give faith to those who would come and ask for it? It's not something that we just muster up on our own. It's a gift of God. Something else that we can pray is say, Lord, I feel like Paul, as he wrote in Romans, that all the things that I want to do, I end up not doing. And all the things that I don't want to do are the things that, that I, I end up uh, not doing. And God, I want to step in your way, but I can't seem to make it happen. So would you give me the ability to do what pleases you? Or maybe we should take one step back from that and say, Lord, I'm so tired and exhausted of trying to have good behavior and check the boxes. I want to surrender to your grace. And would you give me the desire to do what you want me to do? Would you change my heart and my mind? And so what I want for us as a body of Christ, as a, as a 
church that wants to see Christ move and see the Holy Spirit unleashed is I want us to start in this place before we talk about any of the other elements of prayer and say, Lord, I just want to surrender. I want to surrender in prayer and I want to understand that the surrender doesn't happen before the prayer or after the prayer. It happens in the prayer. And I want you to move in my life and and I want you to help me to surrender to you. I want to have faith. I want to have the ability. So God, you do what only you can do. And I want us as a church to begin to pray big prayers. Not for a parking spot. Not for a a, a little bit of a, a raise at work. I want us to pray big prayers that move the kingdom of God forward. God, I want to see you transform my school. God, I want you to bring revival in my church. God, I want you to drive out drugs and gangs and violence and brokenness out of my neighborhood. God, I want you to to save people who are stuck in their doubt and in their fear and their addiction and their lost state. God, I want you to do things that only you can do. I want us to pray big prayers that require faith. And we do not get there until we say, God, not my will, but your will. And so we have to come, and this is, maybe this is the starting point for us. We might need, just need to spend some weeks or months even only praying, God, what do you want me to pray? And so that's how we're going to start this series. Some of you have already asked, well, why, we, why do we have a different setup today? We're going to do something a little different throughout this month. We'd be remiss if we talked all about prayer and we didn't give you an opportunity to really pray as we're gathered. And so we're going to have an extended time of prayer after the message each week through this series. And you can see that there's uh, prayer rails in the front. There's prayer rails in the middle. There's prayer rails at the very back of the room. And we're going to have people available here in the front and in the middle if you want somebody to pray as we sing these last two songs. And you just wave them over, make eye contact, whatever, and say, would you pray with me over whatever it might be? You can come and pray on your own or you can come bring somebody with you. And listen, guys online, watching online, I know our tendency as soon as the message is over, we unclick and we go do what we ever want to do. Don't do that this month. Stay with us and spend this time in prayer with us as well. But let's go to the Lord and say, Spirit of God, move in me. I want to surrender to you. So we're going to stand. We're going to sing two more songs. As we go through this, if you need to sit down, if you, need, you want to get on your knees and pray, whatever you want to do, that's what this time is about, is that we spend some time with the Lord and just saying, God, what do you want to see happen in our church, in my life, in our world? And we want to submit to that. So let's pray. I'm going to open this and then we'll continue singing and you have opportunity to pray as well. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and kindness. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that changes, it transforms, it empowers, it enables us to, to join with you. God, right now what we want to be about is not coming with our, just our list of things. We might have something we need you to do and that's okay for us to pray and we'll do that too. But we wanna do even that with a heart to say, Lord, what do you wanna see happen? Help us to surrender to you.
as individuals, as, as married couples, as families, as a church. We want to surrender to you. So Holy Spirit, come and stir our hearts, speak to us, move. And Father, we pray you'll hear our prayers and that you will answer in your glory and your grace and in your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.